The Dave Berta Podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. Find out more about the network and other amazing Alberta-made podcasts at albertapodcastnetwork.com. I'm Dave Cornwinney. And I'm Ryan Hasman. And you're listening to the Dave Berta Podcast. We're recording this episode on Sunday, April 13th, 2019, and we are joined by our producer, Adam Rosenhart. Hey, fellas. Hey, Adam. How's it going? Pretty good. You excited for this whole thing to be wrapped up? Also, it's Palm Sunday. Yes, that's right. So there's a lot happening today. I think that actually might be why downtown is so busy today, because Dave was was remarking there's quite a bit of traffic. I I saw Rachel Notley riding in on a donkey. (laughs) (laughs) People were waving branches and... Interesting. I didn't, <laughs> a, I didn't think that was a tack the NDP would take. It's a it's a it's a last minute campaign uh, <laughs> pivot. There will be a death in three days. I just don't know if there'll be a resurrection. Oh, <laughs> oh, 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 oh. oh wow! So what are we doing today? It's all biblical. <laughs> <laughs> now they say you should never combine politics and religion. And I'm also a fundraiser, so I talk about all the things you're not supposed. Those are to like talk the two about. most interesting topics. The three. Uh, the Be- three. Oh, money. three. Yeah. Oh, and money. Oh, yeah. Uh, anyway, more seriously, <clears throat> back to the script. We are two days away from Alberta's next provincial election, and we have a lot to talk about. So, guys, let's jump right in. Uh, what races are you going to be watching on election night, Dave? The race for being the premier? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I, I mean, I'm going to be watching a lot of races. That's a meta race. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the big one. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be watching a, a lot of races across the province uh, on election night. Um Anything, I mean, we, as we've talked about in this podcast before, uh, you know, Calgary is going to be very interesting to watch. I think down the downtown core ridings of Calgary, uh, the northeast of Calgary, uh, which can sometimes be politically unpredictable, I'll definitely be watching. Uh, That's true. Lethbridge East, Lethbridge West, I think are going to be going to be two ones to watch. We talked about this in our last pod. Mm-hmm. Um, Shannon Phillips is running for re-election in Lethbridge West, and Maria Fitzpatrick is running for re-election in Lethbridge East. I think those will be interesting. Lethbridge has a different kind of political uh different different voting patterns than uh than the rest of southern alberta uh in as a whole so so that that will be interesting to watch um i think some of the writings the not necessarily ones that you'd think might looking at the polls you might think it go will go one way or another uh, I think some of the ones that might be interesting to watch, I think Banff Kananaskis might be an interesting one. I know Cam Westhead, who's the NDP MLA there, um, has a lot of support from prom- a lot of prominent municipal leaders who've stepped up um, uh, to support his campaign. Uh, Lesser Slave Lake with Danielle Larravee could be an interesting one up north. Uh, and uh, Fort Saskatchewan Vegreville, I think, will be an interesting one with Jessica Littlewood running for re-election. Right. I, had to, I looked at you like, why would that be? <laughs> you know, the... the <laughs> The candidate that Premier Stelmack <laughs> endorsed. <laughs> we talked about that last time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, for me, it, the answer really hasn't changed. Um, I'm going to be watching Calgary Elbow most yep. closely and Edmonton McClung. Um, I'm also going to keep my eye on Edmonton West Henday because I think it, it will be an interesting race and a place where the UCP has a pretty good shot of picking up a riding in Edmonton. And, and that's Nicole Williams is challenging John Carson, the NDP MLA. My, uh, my wife's family lives in, uh, her parents live in uh, Edmonton West Henday. And oh, so good, because so they're conservative, aren't they? Uh, I'm not going to say who, they, who they're voting for. Uh, I think it might be a split household. I've heard that uh, you and Kyla are the, not black sheep, but left sheep. The, the red sheep of the family. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I think it'll be interesting. Driving through West Henday, there's a huge 
mix of signs. Um, it's like a, signs for everybody. Yeah, so and including Alberta Party along yeah. 215th Street. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting riding, too, because it's really like two very different ridings. Yeah. I was door knocking with Nicole up in the Calder area. And yeah. It, I, I can't believe that it's riding. It's a huge swath of like yeah. northwest Edmonton. And then it touches West Edmonton Mall. Yeah. So when you're on like 127th Avenue and 114th Street, that's a very different part of the city than the border of West Edmonton Mall. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, So it'll be interesting to see. And then the other one that, of course, I'm keeping my eye on because I live there is St. Albert. So mm. I'm, as a conservative partisan, I'm less concerned about the other St. Albert, see Morinville St. Albert. I mm-hmm. think that one should go conservative. But the St. Albert proper is going to be a real interesting fight. Yeah. There's a ton of orange signs. It's Marie Renault who's running for re-election. NDP MLA was elected in 2015. And That's she's right. running against Jeff Wedman for Wedman. the UCP. Yeah. He ran for the PC nomination last time. Yeah, to Stephen Kahn. Against Stephen Kahn. Okay. That's right. And then he was the president of the PC association when they merged. Okay. And he became the first president of the joint board. So Jeff's a great guy. He's the kind of guy I would like to see as an MLA. And so uh, that'll be a close one. And what do you think? I heard on the weekend that uh, Nolan Kraus, the former mayor of St. Albert, has he, he had this kind of weird subtweet that he put out endorsing the Alberta Party candidate. Uh, uh, Barry Bailey, I think his name is. I didn't see it, but I knew right away as soon as he started talking that it would be an Alberta Party endorsement. Now, that's so. interesting because Nolan Kraus, for a brief period of time was running for the Liberal Party leadership ahead of the election, ahead of this provincial election, and yeah. then dropped out at the last minute, and then that's when David Kahn came in and won. So yeah. Nolan, Nolan Krauss, who was running for the leadership of one small yeah. party who's now endorsing the candidate from another one, I think that's kind of interesting. And, you know, mayors of um, medium-sized cities tend to be a little bit of wild cards from a partisan provincial. Like, you see Lisa Holmes. Mm-hmm. Um, also endorse the Alberta Party in Morinville, St. Albert. Oh, did she? Okay. Yeah, like I tend to see that because mayors kind of, in my in my sense, they want to be independent and they like their independence and their uh, autonomy. And so they don't tend to love the big parties because they, when they go and be part of a big party, they quickly find out that you're just one cog in the machine. So they tend to be tough to nail down. It's hard to predict which way they're going to go, but I've seen a few of them go for the Alberta Party, so... Hey, as long as he's not promoting Marie Renault, I'm happy. <laughs> that was, I was, I was winking when I said that yes. for, the, for the folks. <laughs> this is not a visual medium. <laughs> Accuse me of cynicism. And, no, we'll get a little see. wink sound effect in. Yeah. <laughs> but the best thing that I'll be watching for is just that we have a result. I'm a little yeah. worried now. I have a theory for why we'll be okay, but I wanted to hear you guys' thoughts. Like, I'm hearing some people speculate that we may not have a result that night. Yeah. Well, that's that's and what the. We'll talk about the advanced poll numbers. Yeah. We've had huge turnout. We had five days of advanced voting. There have been approximately, according to Elections Alberta, 696,000 Albertans have voted in the advanced polls, Wild. which is massive, which is huge. And compared to 2015, when only 200, only, when I say only, when 235,000 Albertans voted in the advanced polls, and there were only four days in, in those advanced polls in 2015. But the big difference between this election and the last election is... In 2019, Albertans can vote at any advanced poll in the province. So in the previous election, you had to go to the advanced polling station in the riding where you live, where right. you're voting. Whereas in 2019, you could go to any voting sta- advanced voting station in the province. So out of that 696,000, 223,000 people voted in a, at an advanced voting station outside of their riding. I mean, th- this is certainly a question that's being asked by a lot of people who listen to the pod. We had Kristen Rayworth message us about this, Yeg Chris and Matt Schneider. What I find most interesting, I'm looking at uh, the Elections Alberta website. Uh, 
you know, you're saying about seven, just just shy of 700,000 advanced votes cast. In the 2015 election, there were one point, almost 1.5 million votes cast. So we're talking yeah. half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, almost have, half. Have already voted. The one theory that I've thought of a little bit to explain some of that, um, the percentage of them who voted from outside the riding, I wonder if you took Edmonton City Center Mall and the Calgary version of it out of the equation. Like, yeah. how many of those were people who live elsewhere and work downtown? Yeah, that's what I wonder as well. If you took those two out, then it'd be very interesting. Yeah. But I think a lot of it, I'm guessing, was people who live in the suburbs and work downtown. Yeah, and I wonder I wonder if, if we're going to find out those numbers from Elections Alberta in terms of what voting stations those people voted in, whether it was, like yeah. you said, the downtown, like whether, I don't know if they had one at the core or one of, one of the main office buildings in downtown Calgary. I assume. Yeah, they must have. I, I went with a couple of friends yesterday, <coughs> uh, so on Saturday, uh, they wanted to go vote at City Center Mall, mm-hmm. and one of them had been trying like all week, and the, the lineups were too long Wow! wow. for him to take... He just, he couldn't, I know that you're supposed to get three hours. Yeah. You know, he just couldn't do that because of his job. And uh, yeah, so he wound up going on Saturday because the lines were shorter. But I, I was sitting there waiting for them and it was still 20 people deep at all times yeah. waiting to get into the polling station. Yeah. yeah. It was it was really interesting. And, and like people of, uh, of you know, visually <laughs> different socio- socioeconomic status, people of color, you know, it was a really diverse group of people, which is something you'd expect in downtown Edmonton, I suppose. But the fact that they're voting, making the effort, yeah, yeah. was was heartening, I guess, for me. Yeah. Well, and and now the reason why it might take a day or two for us to get those results is, from what I understand, those, so the advanced votes, so if you went and voted in your own riding at an advanced voting station, those votes will be counted on election night. But if you went and to the advanced voting station outside your riding, those votes aren't going to be counted that night. They're going to be collected and sent to Elections Alberta's provincial office in Edmonton. Right. And there'll be like a central clearinghouse for, for vote, for, to sort out those votes. Because that was them. a different box. Yeah. Like you had a line if you're voting here or if yeah. you're... So, yeah. so, so it might be like the, the, the election day is April 16th, but it might not be till the late, late on the 17th or even the 18th of April that we actually get, only... get all the votes counted. And in, in some yeah. in some ridings, that could make a difference. Like we're talking about the suburban ridings, well, here's where some what of the battlegrounds say. are. I, I think my sense of it was, so they know who voted and where you voted. Yep. So say if West Hendy comes down to 500 votes mm-hmm. and there is 600 special ballots, then yeah, it will hold it down. And that might happen, right? If, if, the, if the lead is greater than the outstanding votes to cast, I mean, it's, it's a tough thing to say to people, your votes literally won't matter. Well, I don't know if Elections Alberta is going to release those numbers ahead, like on, on election night, well, if they're going yeah. to release, like saying... It'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, I, like, I don't, I'm not sure they're going to touch that until they actually count the ballots. Because so, then they're saying to those special ballots that your vote actually doesn't matter. Yeah, so, because when they... Because a lot of times advanced, the advanced votes, even in a riding, don't get counted until, from what I understand, don't get counted until the end of the night uh, or if there's a lot of them they might not get counted until after or later on in the evening um, but they don't tally up they don't release the numbers of like how many people voted in the advanced polls ahead of time publicly hmm. so but I don't it's been I, such a big part of the story this time yeah I because I think one of the nightmare scenarios is actually like a five day wait to why see. is that nightmare scenario though because I just want it over I want <laughs> a, quick, <laughs> a quick Band-aid poll. If, if, it, if it doesn't happen the way you're hoping, Ryan, it's five more days of hot takes on Twitter, which I totally agree with you. This has been excruciating and exhausting. And, and interestingly, all the campaigns have spent to the max. 
uh, ah, okay. at this point. Certainly the central campaigns have. So yeah. what do they do for those five days? They'd have to hang out at home and just like tweet at each other. And basically, yeah. Volunteers are exhausted. So as basically a, back to normal. As a local candidate on election night, when I ran, if you had told me that there's another five days, I think I would have cried. <laughs> like at that point, they're so exhausted. They just want it over. So the nightmare for me, well, the nightmare would be a certain result, but the other nightmare would be no <laughs> result at all. Um, because, oh my goodness, yeah. Can you imagine? Do you, do you guys know how likely it is that, I mean, obviously they are not going to give us an official result in, until everything has been counted. That takes yeah. two weeks, actually. Okay. Yeah, the official results. So yeah, the, the, the results on election night and like the, the year the day after are always the unofficial results. Which is why in our system, the premier actually resigns. Right. We have a very like, at the margins, our system is very undefined. Mm. But the tradition is a premier, an outgoing premier realizes the, the result accepts it, and goes and sees the LG the next day and resigns. Like mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not huh. like in the American system, for example, where they wait for all the chads, the hanging chads <laughs> the hanging to be chads. Yeah, The butterfly chads. So the big question is, what does it mean? I, I'll i put one theory forward. Typically in a change election, high turnout means change. Mm-hmm. But Dave, we've talked about this a little bit. I mean, I can tell you the UCP base is motivated and they've gotten their vote out. Mm-hmm. But it looks like the NDP have as well. That's the thing, yeah. It's a, it, it feels like a... It feels like a change election, but but I don't get the impression. Usually, in a change election, I suspect that I because I, we don't usually have them in Alberta. But looking back to the twenty fifteen election, which is the first example we've had in forty four years in Alberta, right. like the PC party base was very demoralized. Right, you could feel it. I don't get the impression the NDP base is demoralized at all. Like even though the polls the, haven't moved, the polls and... like like I I think the the NDP base is extremely motivated as well. But is it because so, we live in Edmonton? That might, you know, that might be it. Because I, I mean, I wonder, I wonder what it's like in in Calgary. But even Calgary, in, they're my sense is they're motivated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So maybe this really will be a game change election where both sides are turning out. Yeah. The other theory I've heard is that the high turnout at this advanced ballot is just because we're now we're an, an on demand society. It's like the Netflix of voting. It's like <laughs> I want to. I don't want to wait till till next Tuesday. Yeah. I want to vote today. Yeah. One of the things at the doors lately too has been um, telling identified supporters. The party is going to call you every day. The only way to make it stop is to go vote. <laughs> yeah. And then I, once I voted, the next day I got an email from the party saying, thanks for voting, Ryan, because they have associated yep. me as a supporter. And would you ask your friends and neighbors to go vote too? Like the parties are getting very sophisticated. And yep. the data sharing is actually very quick this time. Yeah. It's so, all electronic now. Yeah. It's, yeah. And it's updated several times a day. Yeah. Remember remember like, you know, eight years ago when or four years ago when you had to like you had like a paper list and you had to like yeah. cross off the people yeah. who had voted then phone in or te- you know or text totally. in yeah. you know that's that seems to be a bit of the pit in the past now. so for those poor identified voters of any party who still haven't voted tuesday you're going to get a lot of phone calls <laughs> yeah. cuz okay. at that at that point they risk making you mad cuz they have nothing to lose yeah they for every one person who truly doesn't vote cuz the party called them too often there's probably eight people who will vote cuz they phone them so yeah i yeah. i i'm still getting you know, daily emails from uh, the parties. And uh, one from this morning I found, or one from yesterday, rather, I found kind of interesting. It's an NDP one, and it's saying, here's five things we've done that you might have missed over the last four years. And then at the bottom, the call to action is to donate, but it's chip in another $37. Hmm. Why 37 Like I, I, some of these have said, you know, if you can, just throw in another 5 um, but I, I, I'm just curious about the amount. Any I can insight? Read, the UCP version of that today mm-hmm. is, hi, Ryan, 
today's the last day before we deploy everything we can on election day, yada, yada, yada. If you could chip in $10 or whatever you can afford to help us get over our goal. 37 is weird because it's an un, it's not a whole number. Yeah. But there's some price psychology there, some yeah. marketing psychology. Like the dollar ninety nine kind yeah. of stuff, yeah. I'm sure I they're testing, too. Like, I'm I bet sure. you they have different versions of like it. Like AB groups. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah. One of the things is I think is going to be interesting with the advance polls and the huge turnout in the advance polls, and this is a very this is a very political science-y uh, issue, is that when you have an – so the advance polls, advance votes are all – like in a riding are all counted together. So they're not counted by the individual poll – Right. that the person lives in. So hmm. it, so you it's it's if if you have an increasing number of advanced voters, you're going to have less poll by poll data to figure out who has support where right. inside a riding, right? And in terms of in terms of in terms of the 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 percentage of turnout and in terms of percentage of actual who the who the people in that riding vote in that poll voted for. They probably could have done that. I mean, when when they they had to print out my ballot because I voted outside of my riding. Um you know, I, I had my voter card, so it had all the, the sort of poll number details and all that, all those weird numbers that don't mean anything to me. Mm-hmm. If they had just printed that out onto the ballot, or wouldn't they have been able to attribute? Well, they don't. They count the advance. They count all the advance votes separately. Now, right. what I'm wondering is, are they going to? And I, I, I would like to. Say, I think it'd be useful for the to see this is when they're reporting the advanced votes that they separate, like in each writing, that they separate the advance votes cast within the writing yeah, and the advanced votes can't out, count, count it or cast outside because yeah. that, that'll be interesting but but it really does kind of I mean if, if this just means more people are voting and more people are participating that's great but it but by allowing the you know by encouraging and, and creating a system that where more people go out and vote you don't get that kind of analysis data the same but, kind of stuff you'd, you'd need to do to do kind of like the parties analysis. will know the ride the parties will know but mm-hmm. but the parties will know that's private the parties data, will right? know because they know where i live mm. so adam did you have to write lily's name in or did you <laughs> was the ballot populated or was it just blank no did, no, no did but, you vote for the ucp <laughs> well, obviously that's a given i'm just saying did you write her name in then or was it already popular i don't even know who you're talking about no, i'm just kidding <laughs> um no it was a printout that had i think there were five candidates in edmonton center or something okay. like five or six and they were all they all had their little square, uh, last name, first name, and then a little circle that you filled in with a Sharpie. Because my parents are in Arizona. Mm-hmm. So when they went down to the poll in their riding, at that point, the ballot was still blank. Oh, really? I think it was before the deadline. No, they had they had everyone who, who was registered. So I think I was, you know, it was past that deadline anyway. So they had all the all the candidates written down. And I, and, uh, I, I uh, well, good luck to everybody. Especially Lily, I can't imagine that. Uh, you know, I'd be surprised if she beat David Shepard. I'd be really surprised. I, I, I suspect that uh, Edmonton City Center will probably be a safe NDP riding on election night. I'm that's that, that I'm going to put myself out there and say that. I was trying to remember. I was trying to remember. Um, I this is actually the first time I've, and I'll I'll tell you like straight up. I don't think any of our listeners are going to be surprised. I voted NDP for the first time in my life. Really? In the last last election, I did not vote NDP. Because I, I figured the MLA for Edmonton Center was right. a pretty good. Uh, if you lived anywhere but Edmonton Center last, time. I probably would have voted NDP. And that's right. Lori Blakeman, who was the Liberal MLA. There. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So do you go for the most viable left of center alternative? Uh yeah, basically. Yeah. Right. So if if this happened again, if sorry, in the next election, if it's a UCB government and you have a Liberal candidate that you really like and an NDP candidate you really like, you'll pick the one who you sense will be part of the biggest caucus. Uh, no, not necessarily. I, I don't, I don't like voting strategically. 
I, I, I have a real problem with it. I just can't bring myself mm-hmm. to do it. I'm always like, no, I'm going to vote to keep right. usually the extreme right out of, uh, out of power. But I just, when I get to the ballot box, I can never do it. I don't know what it is. Well, we got a question, actually. Um, so on Twitter today, pardon me, from Jordan, Jordan D. Okay. Question, is, run, is voting for a Big Ten party a tactical choice to get your ideology elected? And if it is a tactical choice, how does that square with Ryan's statement last week that tactical voting goes against the principles of democracy that our country fought for? So I, I, I may have spoken a little bit rather um, rhetorically in that one. I, I think it's everyone's right to vote however they want. Yeah. And I think it's everyone's right to run however they want. So there's a distant difference between my preferred strategy and what I propose to be proper. So I, I think that the veterans died in Jimmy Ridge so that anyone can run for whatever it is that's important to them within the boundaries of law and you know certain things. So when I made my comment about the Alberta Party offending me because it's their motivation or the Freedom Conservative Party's motivation isn't proper, I didn't mean so therefore they shouldn't be allowed to run. Mm. I'm just describing how I choose to support people. So if you want to vote strategically, vote strategically. If you want to pick the best candidate, pick the best candidate. Like everyone gets to decide – and when it's just you in the ballot box, you yeah. can mark your X however you want. What's good yeah. for you, it may not be good for me. I just, yeah. But this, we're going to get to it later. We have about 15 questions today that the oh, premise man. of it is, <laughs> so now that it's been established that Jason Kenney is a monster, <laughs> how do you keep supporting him? And I, I guess to give you a little preview of my response, it's going to be like, if you just keep saying it and you really believe it, you believed it times 10 and now you believe it times 15, it's still clearly hasn't moved the needle. Well, it doesn't I, mean I, I'm more convinced now than I was three weeks ago either. Mm-hmm. I, I think we'll see what the RCMP have to say about that. <laughs> but that's the, he's not. <laughs> we'll get, we'll get, we'll get we'll to get that. Back. We'll get to that. But you know, like people have it in their head that they are just so, I actually think a lot of people don't talk regularly with supporters of the other party. Like, oh, I, definitely. Mm-hmm. I honestly think, and it's same on the conservative side as well. Like, I think the three of us might be weird because a lot <laughs> of people just truly cannot fathom a choice from the other way. Well, like, they I, don't th- think they don't they don't understand how a smart person can disagree with them. I've elaborated my theory of empathy, which we'll get to later on in the show. But right, we're gonna have to have a so what's next episode where oh, we yeah. talk about putting all of this back, not just governing, not just what's next for the government, but like. What's next for the polity? <laughs> yeah, no, I think there's a question. We might have even have a question about that today. About yeah. you know how do you how do you put this back in the bag? Yeah. So I guess our last topic of well, advanced one more point on advanced mm. voting. Uh, what do you guys think? Do you think this is? Do you think the people who are turning out at the advanced polls are people who probably would have voted anyway on April sixteenth if there hadn't been advanced polls, or do you think this is a sign that total turnout, voter turnout, is going to be big? A, a, a bit of both, yeah. and we'll find out. I yeah. don't think anyone knows right now. Yeah. I think I think it's great that people have more than just one day mm-hmm. to vote. I think it's really important. Yeah. But what it means, I could not tell you. This yeah. has been such a bizarre election. Yeah. Two uh, weeks from now when we record, or a week from now, or whenever, next time we record, <laughs> yeah. we'll have a bit more information. Yeah. But I, I don't know. What do you think, Dave? Do you Can you say one way or another what it means? No, I can't. I was wondering what you guys going to say. I mean, it... it I. We don't know whether these these are people who already would would have voted, and maybe turnout will be a little bit lower than normal on the sixteenth. Yeah, um, oh, and that'll then, be interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. if 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 uh, if if it, it so we'll see. I mean, but, but last time was a almost record turnout. 
right? It was a very high turnout. Yeah, fifty-seven percent was but, the turnout. Yeah, last but, and we're halfway there already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the turnout in the last election, fifty-seven. Uh, turnout in the election before that, fifty-four, and turnout in the election before that in two thousand four was or two thousand eight. Pardon me, was forty percent. So we had this huge, right? Like we, we've been. Between 2008 and 2015, it was a 17% increase in, so you, in the voter turnout. You could also say interesting elections with a competitive choice yeah. drive turnout. Because yeah. in 2012, it was Wild Rose versus PC. In 2015, we all know what happened. You know 20, what? 2008, at no point was the result in question. Yeah. No. So do, do you guys know when the uh, when the largest voter turnout was in an Alberta election? What year it was? Well, I know from 1975 onward. Okay. I, I know who I would ask. But I've got it right in front of me, so... <laughs> It's not really fair. Okay, so the do you want to take a guess, Ryan? Ever? Yeah, in Alberta, provincial elections. When was the, no. the it'll l- be something highest in, voter turnout? It'll be something involving the Socred. Oh, bingo. <laughs> yeah. Bingo. Okay. Yes. So the 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 largest voter turnout was eight eighty point or eighty one point eight percent. Wow. Which was in the nineteen thirty five election, which is when uh, when the Social Credit Party was first elected. And That's everybody crazy. in this podcast, everybody all of our listeners know how much we like to talk about. The Social Credit Party. So that almost anyway, as much as the Alberta Party. Yes, yes, almost as much. <laughs> almost as relevant sometimes. We'll, <laughs> well see. I'm sorry. We'll see after the that election. That was Dave. That was Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I had a couple people this week text me to be like, you're a little mean to the Alberta Party. Maybe you shouldn't be such a jerk. So I'm going to try to be less mean Man, to the Alberta Party. Man, you get those texts every time we do a show. Yeah. It's like, true. since long before the writ was. That is true. This this week I got it from a couple of people who I actually respect. <laughs> okay. <laughs> No, that was mean too. That wasn't even supposed to sound mean. Was just no, mean. I, I understand what you're saying. People so, that that are known to you, right? Yes. Yeah. I so, was just I was just gonna say though, like that is what was it? Eighty three. Eighty one point eight percent. And in and since 1975, which is what's on Election Alberta's website, the highest turnout was 1982 yeah. at only 66 percent. Yeah, and that was a that was another landslide election for that was Peter Lougheed's last election as PC leader, uh, and I think in that election was that the post constitution or was right around right the, around the western it. canada concept party won like 10 percent. when the, did they patriot the constitution 80 82 i think so it was in the it context was, of it was that. right in there yeah. yeah so and i think the ndp won two seats yeah because ray martin won take in that, that and then uh back to where things grant notley oh yeah one yeah and then huh. i think that was i think that was it and then there were two like holdover socreds who won <laughs> so dave's knowledge he went 40 years earlier on you and on the website. Yeah, the only reason yeah. I know any of this is because I've got a website in front of me. Dave just and rain man my, the whole thing. The, the, the last piece of, well, prob, pro, probably not the last piece of rain social credit tri- trivia I, ser- I share today, but the Social Credit Party uh, is no longer on the ballot. I think this is the first election since really? 1935 that there is no Social Credit Party in the no ballot one. because the Social Credit Party is now the... Alberta Pro-Life Political Alliance. Oh, that's right. And they're running one candidate in Calgary Curry. Right. Um, and I'm sure he'll get like 12 votes. Because <laughs> they're not, it's not like a real campaign. But yeah, they're, um, they had a takeover because they, they were these, this like, these long time social credit folks who were running the social credit party and would run like five candidates every election. And then they had a takeover at their annual meeting in like 2016, 2017. And then they changed the name and yeah, and they're running, running one candidate, so... And the Wild Rose and PCs both have a candidate in this election. Yes, mm-hmm. running in Edmonton, Strathcona, Edmonton, Strathcona, to stay on paper. Yep. Uh, and the Communist Party of Canada has a co- candidate as well. She's running in Calgary Varsity. Well, really? So, <laughs> sorry. Maybe we should. That's a, that was a dig at, at Anne McGrath. Uh, no, no. The, the Communist Party of Alberta is running five candidates, including a candidate in my riding. 
Wow. Yeah, in Edmonton Highlands, Norwood. Is that so. what they call the Communist Party of Alberta? They're called the Communist Party of Alberta. So is there a Marxist-Leninist? No, there's no, there's no. So uh, a provincial level, they get together. Yeah, I Maybe. guess. Yeah. They, they bury the hammer and sickle. And <laughs> <laughs> well, they don't bury. They they bear them. You just wanted there's to no say no burying that, didn't of you? them. <laughs> so what does this all mean, Dave? Do, should we touch on our predictions? I don't know if our producer is comfortable making a prediction, but I'd love to know it. Uh, I might. I think I might stay out of that conversation. Why don't you tie a bow on this election for us, Adam, from your perspective? I, okay, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll be, I'll be honest. I thought this would be a UCP landslide. I don't think it's going to be. I, I but I don't know. I don't know if that means you know UCP still win a majority, a slight majority, or if they win a minority. I am very nervous and also kind of excited about the result on Tuesday. So it's not the, it's not the, I don't think it'll be the landslide result for the conservatives that I thought it would be. And that's, I think, all I'm willing to say at this point. Mm-hmm. I think it's a, it's a pretty fair analysis. And I think a lot of people, a lot of political observers will, would probably agree with you. I mean, you go back two months ago and the UCP was 20 or 30 points ahead in the polls. It looked like they were, you know, their pollster was going out shopping around Riding by riding poll results that said the UCP would win, you know, 90 seats out of 87, basically. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, you know, but it looked like it was a, it was a sure thing. It was a, a, a massive landslide majority was a sure thing. And it's certainly not a sure thing. That said, you know, I, th- I, think, the ND, I think the NDP will actually do a lot better than people would have given them, would have predicted a month ago. Um, you know, I think the UCP is st- still a strong contender to form government, a majority government. Um, but remember that the polling... Polling, when you see polling numbers, popular vote doesn't necessarily represent seat count. We we Absolutely. operate in a single member plurality, first past the post system. Um, parties can get forty five percent of the vote and get sixty percent of the seats. Right. So you know, just because parties are running neck and neck, it doesn't necessarily mean it. it all depends where those votes are. What did the NDP actually get at the provincial level in twenty fifteen? The NDP got forty percent province wide. Right. Yeah, and they and and just like now, I mean, their vote was heavily concentrated in Edmonton. I think in yeah. the last election they got like sixty six or sixty seven percent in Edmonton and Calgary, they only got around thirty three percent, I think, and they ended up winning fourteen seats or yeah. something. And then uh, rural Alberta was it depends what part of the province you're in. Yeah. So the the vote concentration thing really, really, really matters. I mean, the UCP vote is very concentrated in the rural areas, as in, as in there, there's a lot of their vote is there. They're they're yeah. leading. The NDP, their vote is very concentrated in Edmonton. Calgary, you know, depending on which poll you're looking at, it's either the UCP ahead by 10 or 15 points or somewhat closer, five points. It'll, yeah. be, it'll be very interesting. You know, a party can get 40% of the vote and, you know, p- potentially in Calgary and still only win four or five seats, right? So it's right. because totally. the way our system works. So, yeah. so it's definitely more of a race in terms of the, pop- the popular vote and the polling that we're seeing coming out. And you can feel it. There is... You can feel momentum on both sides. I don't necessarily think right. you, you know, like, I mean, Rachel Notley has en- has energy in her campaign. Yeah. Um, the UCP has energy in their campaign. It's not like there's a, I mean, when you look at the polling, there's a clear, there's a clear front runner in terms of the UCP. Right. Has been consistently leading, but the, um, like, we, it's like we said earlier, it doesn't feel like either side is demoralized. Back if you go, this is our 34th episode. <clears throat> back if you go 30 episodes back or so, when we were talking about this, we would have said, there are some structural things that will affect the election. 
And I feel like for all of the angst and effort and activity and money spent and sweat, blood, and tears and all that stuff, we're going to end up back there where you mm-hmm. essentially have three regions in this province. And they're not equally populated. They don't have the same amount of seats. And that's really what's hard to overcome for the NDP. So Mm -hmm. you have Edmonton, you have Calgary, and you have everywhere else. And the lead for everywhere else that the UCP has is commanding. Mm -hmm. It's like 40 points. So even if you spot the NDP, all of Alberta, sorry, all of Edmonton, (laughs) um, and even some of the outlier Edmonton-ish seats, you're talking 25 to 30. If you spot the UCP, all the rural seats, you're talking 35, 36, 37. Depends how you decide what a rural seat is. So one way to think of it, and let me just say my my karma warding prediction is forty seven UCP forty NDB. Really? i to be to be honest, I'm a little higher. I think it'll be in the fifty range. Yeah. But yeah. Um, <clears throat> even if you spot those two, all those, well, now you're in a position where the UCP has to pick up like ten seats mm-hmm. in Calgary, and the NDP has to double that. So. Yeah. The structural issue is there, just as it's always been, which we've talked about since the beginning. I think that the reason why we might feel like both are motivated is because their bases, the way this election's been run, has been to mobilize and harden, you said this in the last podcast, they're they're both bases. So we will see. I don't think there will be a ton of surprises this time. I think it will actually go, like you won't see a lot of, both Red Deer seeds going NDP mm-hmm. or some Calgary seeds going NDP. Like, I think it'll go back to type. But one of the things, and we have many questions on this too, um, our friend Elaine asked, taking as true that the UCP versus NDP gap is narrowing in the polls, do you attribute this to A, a better NDP ground game or GOTV, B, the incumbent support taking longer to activate than challenger support, C, UCP campaign mismanagement, or D, inherent errors in poll tracking. I would actually say none of the above. I think this comes down to we are now simply in a more normal, competitive political environment. Something that Alberta isn't mm-hmm. used to, actually. And, and that's part of Rachel Notley's legacy, well, if she loses. That, you know, she has now brought us into the type of place where the opposition will be at 30, 35, 40%. This is normal. Every other province has that. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't mean, it doesn't have to mean any of those things. It kind of just means we're, the mold was broken. The wheel was broken, as yep. Daenerys Stormborn would say. And now it's a new world <laughs> where, like, both sides can the, the, win. The sun is rising in, in the, the east or rising in the west and setting in the east. What is it? I don't know. Winter's coming, guys. Winter's, yeah. <laughs> how many how many Game of Thrones references can we work I've been forgetting to work some more in. <laughs> so I think that we're just in a politically competitive environment now. And that is one of my thoughts on the election. Like, we are going to now be in a, a place where there is a competitive duality in our system. Both big parties are going to be very competitive and a threat to govern at all times. And as a partisan member of the UCP, I actually see that as a virtue because mm-hmm. we'll be able to say, look, if we don't keep our stuff straight, winter's just around the corner. <laughs> <laughs> There's a wall and the White Walkers are just right there. Yeah. You know, you can't take it for granted anymore. And What do you think about, about Elaine's question, Dave? Do you think this, are you observing the same thing as Ryan? I hope so. Yeah, no, and, and I hope this does... Uh, this does mean that there is a competitive political environment in Alberta. I mean, I think one of the one of the cha- one of the differences we've had in in the past, you could say in the last term, but less so in the last four years because the Tory the PCs were so des- heavily decimated in that election. But if the NDP are say able to win thirty seats and you know a significant number of cabinet ministers, for example, are are reelected, yeah, 
They'll um, be more experienced than the government. Yeah, there'll be people on both sides in the opposition. Like, you know, there'll be depth on both sides right. of, you know, people who are serving as cabinet ministers on, you know, on the UCP side, if the UCP wins, and opposition critics who have been in government. And, and that, Which that's... Which is rare. That's different for Alberta. That's not normal, right? For sure. Think, think about before before 2015, the last change in government was Taft, 1971. Taft, when he won 30 seats in 04, is that right? 32 seats? Mm-hmm. No, Decor won 32 in when, 1993. Yeah, in 1993, the Taft, Liberals won But Taft had a big seats. turnout, or a big result. They won, I think they, the Liberals won 17 seats in 2004. Okay, sorry, we should edit all that out. When Taft got his big win and he had 17 MLAs, yeah. none of them had cabinet experience. No. That is a new thing. Yeah. And in fact, this time, the cabinet won't have a lot of cabinet experience. Yeah. I'm not going to speculate on who may or may not be in. Well, of course, I'll speculate, but right now, I don't have my <laughs> no, list. No, no, but, 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 but there won't be. There's right? not be, a lot. Yeah, because you think about the... In terms of there, 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 there will only be. There's only one. McIver. McIver. Um, no, uh, there was another one. There, well, David Dorward is running David for Dorward. election in Edmonton yep. Goldbar. Mike Ellis. He wasn't ever in cabinet. He didn't have an associate. No, no, and the only ones were Rick Fraser, who's running for re-election for the Alberta Party in Calgary Southeast, was an associate cabinet minister. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Sandra Jansen, who crossed the Oop. NDP, who's not running again. <laughs> Never, never heard of her. She's uh, KJ Jansen's sister, KJ Jansen of Chicks Dig It. I'm, I've never heard of her <laughs> or that. <laughs> so yeah, there will there will be. Uh, I mean, it'll it will be a steep learning curve for the uh, uh, for the you know the new UCP cabinet as well. I think it'll be a less of a steep learning curve for them because there already is like a long time establishment conservative. Or infrastructure in this province, whereas I don't think the NDP will have that had that kind of advantage in 2015. One of the final things before we get to the mailbag is we some actually it was a mailbag question. Someone yeah. had asked us to game out the scenario: if the UCP and NDP both get 43 seats, and the Alberta Party gets one, who does the Alberta Party support, and what happens? So I, I gamed it out with like flowcharts and yeah. arrows, but I think it comes down to basically the NDP would have a chance to govern yeah. because. Someone has to be the speaker. So either the Alberta Party MLA becomes the speaker and then we're dead tied, but the speaker supports the government, or the NDP convinced someone to, but the Alberta Party supports them. So they would court the Alberta Party person, and if it's down to one vote, mm-hmm. the LG is bound by, um, what's the word I'm going for? By precedent or? Yeah, tradition and precedent to mm-hmm. allow the the premier, should she want to, yeah. to try to govern again. So we saw it in BC where the speaker actually came down to um, a member of the liberals went over to be the speaker. Yeah. And later since that is an independent, I think. Yeah. Because the government, because the liberals were so mad at them. Yeah. Because that allowed the government to stay as the government. So I think in almost any scenario where it's that close, where it's tied, the NDP would continue to govern at least for a while. Yeah. And we could see a situation like in BC or in, in other provinces where they've had these minority situations where you get a uh, I mean, it, the the one, up you know the 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 one MLA or the or the smaller party that holds the balance of power frequently will have a list of you know five items that they'd like accomplished in the you know tail. in exchange for support on money bills yeah, on on bills that could could lead the government the to the tail that wags the dog. It's it's the mandate letter from the person who holds the balance of power from the group of people who hold the balance. Isn't of power. parliamentary democracy great? It and, is, and they want in this case in BC they wanted a referendum on proportional <coughs> representation, which they ended up losing anyway. <laughs> well, they said they did. I don't I don't think the the Greens want specifically speculated they wanted a uh, you know a, a winning referendum. 
they're just going to swing. They a referendum. I'm just going to swing my arm, and if it punches you in the face, it's not my fault, that kind of thing, where they're <laughs> like, we're not going to say what we want, but we're going to swing our arms around, and if this hits the other guy. Of course they wanted PR. They, well, yeah, no, of course they did, but... but they didn't and, and they engage. And they got the referendum. Yeah, they did, and it failed. Yeah. I got uh, lectured last night on Twitter by someone who appears to be very knowledgeable about proportional representation, mm-hmm. and they've invented their own system. Um and they let me know that I'm not very informed of proportional representation. And it's true, we haven't dug deeply into that issue here. Let's do an electoral we systems, should. electoral reform yeah. episode. Once this, uh, this dust settles in the election and, and half the electorate is calling for electoral reform, we should <laughs> which, <laughs> well, which half? Well, I don't know. It depends. If the NDP wins, you're going to he- hear UCPers I don't think you so. know, crying for it. If, and If you watch, conservatives, at least in Alberta, are very consistently not in favor of PR. And it's because we've... You know, we've had Trudeau proposal. Well, no, no, you don't have to have proportional representation. There's, there's like a there million other. other there's like a million yeah. other systems. Plus, PR I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even necessarily. I mean, you know, we're gonna get mail over this. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily even advocate a pure proportional representation. System. And what does it even mean? There's lots of variables. Dave's yeah. in favor of the Irish system. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Single transferable vote, like the alternative vote. Oh, yeah. I'm, yeah, in, I'm, I'm, I'm in favor of that. But then you don't, you don't know the results for like days. And yeah, the person yeah. who placed first on the first ballot places seventh on the seventh ballot. <laughs> it's, it's a wonderful. It's system. weird. But every vote is counted. I sort of like the way they do it in Westeros, where <laughs> there's uh, some real <laughs> politic that happens, and whichever house can hold power, uh, their I, line lives that, that is the Game of Thrones. Yes. I feel yes. like we're maybe getting closer. Uh, politically to the Klingon system of government, where if you want to take over as emperor, you murder the emperor. There's no emperor anymore, right? Well, there's like in a duel, have... or is it like a war? Uh, well, as I recall, in Deep Space Nine, Gowron, who was the, the emperor of the Klingon High Council, um, he was making choices about a war the Klingons were involved in that meant they were taking heavy losses, and he was just doing it to embarrass one of the generals. General Martok. General Martok, yeah. yeah. And uh, Worf was like, this won't stand. So he's like, Martok, you got to murder this guy and take over. Otherwise, he's going to make you look like an ass. Right. And Martok didn't want to do it, so Worf did it. And, and But then Worf was like, they were like, long live Emperor Worf. And he's like, nah, Martok can have it. And he just gave <laughs> it to him, so... So, you know. How about let's not go to that system? You know, <laughs> the, the, the Venetians had a system that lasted for about 800 years uh, in, the, in the Venetian Republic. They were, had, how, how they would choose their doge, it was a, and I probably pronounced that wrong, but it was a system of lottery. So, like, it was like an eight-ballot system, and there'd be certain, like, families <laughs> that were, like, on this registrar of voters. And in each system, there'd be, like, a... Uh, like, the like a, lo- a lottery, yeah, but like a lottery would choose the people who voted, and then they'd vote, and then their votes would be divided, and then there'd be a new group of people who'd be chosen by lottery, and then their votes would be added and then divided. It basically made the system like <laughs> it was impossible to rig the system because it was there were so many unknown variables. This is like the combination of the West Rossi way of electing a, a leader and the U.S. Electoral College. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> The Dave Berta Podcast is made possible in part by Edmonton Community Foundation. And if you haven't done so already, you need to check out the Well-Endowed Podcast, a podcast from the Foundation hosted by Andrew Paul and Elizabeth Bonkink and produced by Lisa Pruden. The Well-Endowed Podcast explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city. The Edmonton Community Foundation helps people create endowment funds, and so the podcast tells the stories of how those endowments intersect with community. The Well-Endowed Podcast comes out a couple of times a month, and in order for you to not miss a thing, what you need to do 
is check out thewellendowedpodcast.com and subscribe anywhere where pods are cast. That's thewellendowedpodcast.com. Colin, we should start a movie podcast. Oh, that's a good idea, Greg. What are you thinking? I'm thinking like a movie podcast is like a little different than other movie podcasts. Mm, so instead of celebrating movies, we take bad movies and we talk about them. No, no, no. But maybe we'll take those bad movies and we'll, we'll talk about them, how they can be better, how we can fix them. Guys, I have some notes. Yeah, what do you have notes about? No, that's the podcast. I have some notes. Greg Beaver, Colin McIntyre, and me, Scott C. Bourgeois. We get together a few times a month and take a bad movie and try to punch it up. You can check us out right now at the Alberta Podcast Network or at IHaveSomeNotes.com. Well, should we go to the mailbag then, fellas? Yeah, Please. let's let's uh, dive into the mailbag. We have a lot of questions. We got a lot of, I would say, similar questions. So, we're... Well, can I summarize them? Sure, please do. So, given the fact that Jason Kenny is a horrible, evil person, <laughs> Ryan, how do you continue to be a UCP supporter? Good, yeah. good question. The, I mean, uh... thank you for your objective analysis, dear readers. And I don't mean to mock our audience. I appreciate them listening, caring enough to write in, caring enough to accuse me of all sorts of things, but. Um, and we'll get to it. But, you know, guys, I, I think maybe, and I didn't put a bow on this election for myself, but I think if I did, I would say it is not patently obvious that all of the people who are convinced Jason Kenney is unfit for office, it's not patently obvious that it's true. Clearly, they are, there's a large group of the voter electorate who has convinced themselves of that and hardened on it. But there's clearly a big chunk of the electorate who has decided that that is not so true that it will keep them from voting for him. Mm -hmm. So I would recommend to the opponents that should the UCP win, that they try, and this is just, and I don't, I'm not comparing him to Trump. I despise Trump. But in a similar way, the Democrats have to wrestle with this, where they loathe Kenny, <laughs> they loathe Donald Trump I'm so I'm sure much. they loathe Jason Kenny as well. <laughs> they Especially loathe, the ones from San Francisco. <laughs> they loathe him so much that they can't think straight. They can't look at, well, why did the electorate choose this man? And I think that the left in Alberta should do some of that. I mean, we're going to get letters on this, I realize. But I'm trying to be objective. Like, if the UCP wins, despite having this type of campaign, this type of withering 28-day focus on Kenny's character and on his policies and on his record, I would just recommend that they, before they go back to the rage attack, that they just give it some thought about what was it about the UCP's message or about the circumstances or the factors of the election that led to such a disconnect between how they feel and how the voters turned out. Because something is disconnected. Like, based on Twitter, voting for Jason Kenney is like supporting Joseph Stalin. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's true, and I'm going to get to it in the questions, but there is a large chunk of people who have convinced themselves of that. And so you're either saying the voters agree and they voted for Joseph Stalin or you're missing something. Well, we talked about this, I think the last episode about ballot issues and about what the defining ballot issue will be. And I think that there, I don't think there's one defining ballot issue because we've seen this, these issues, the, the, the electorate is, appears to be polarized. Um, you know, for a large number of Albertans, it appears that the economy, that the message to the frustration around the economy, around unemployment and jobs is a, is a big but, driver. And on the other side, yeah, a lot of these controversial social issues that really Im that impact people, bringing up gay-straight alliances, Jason Kenney's history of, of anti-same-sex anti marriage advocacy, anti-gay advocacy, anti-abortion advocacy. Uh, yeah, these are deeply personal issues that matter for a lot of people. And I don't think it's irrational to 
be in a position. I don't think it's irrational. I don't. I don't think that those individuals are irrational as irrational as you think they are, as, as you are. You might argue they are at. Uh, right. I'm not giving them a rationality. I'm saying they need to think about why the electorate isn't with them. The other thing that I'll point out is, and I, I'm afraid I don't have it in front of me. The last the last polling I saw about the two leaders, positive and negatives, they're comparable. Mm-hmm. I think that'll blow a lot of our audience's mind. But the like the Alberta and polling is polling, whatever. But the positive negative net on the two leaders is about the same. So the premise of a third of these questions that given that everyone agrees Jason Kenney is a horrible person is actually not given. People don't think that. The hardened people who didn't like him before really don't like him now. But they didn't move the needle on that. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there was some rough, there was a couple of rough weeks in there. And they, the withering attack from Rachel Notley applying all of her political capital and convincing people Jason Kenney's unfit for office didn't move the needle. I, I, I would argue that I think it's moved the needle on Jason Kenney, but it hasn't moved the needle on the UCP. But I'm I think the I, leaders. Yeah, no, but I, I think, well, and I think I think with, with the negative, I mean, when you, when you run a negative campaign, if you're going to throw mud, a certain amount of it is going to stick on you. And I think that's what we've if seen. You point, with, you have four fingers pointing back. Yeah, at you. well, exactly. And I think we've seen a bit of that with with Rachel Notley. Is that there's a bit yeah. of the shyness come off. It has been a an, 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 you know a, among the, the 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 back and forth between the two parties has been has been quite negative. Yeah. Um, so that I think that has a bit of it has stuck on the NDP. Um, that said, I think that Jason Kenney is in a even if the UCP wins a majority government, I think him personally, I think he his personal. Politi- his personal political capital is more damaged than it was at the beginning of the election because we've gone through this whole thing. We've the, we've talked about his history. We've talked about the the you know the Mark Smith comments, the his ref- you know and Kenny's refusal to remove Mark Smith as a candidate and what is and what isn't accept what is or what are and what aren't acceptable views on some of these social conservative issues within the UCP caucus, um, bozo eruptions, etc. Well, let's get to the questions because uh, we'll get into more of this a little bit more. Um, and let's start with the questions from Alice Funky. From Pundit's Guide. Oh, okay. Right on. Yeah. Oh. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Yeah. And thanks yeah. for your questions, Alice. I saw them interact a little bit on Twitter with us. So that's cool. The first question is, which seat, and we, we maybe talked about this a little bit at the beginning, but which seat holds the biggest potential surprise on election night? And I actually have a, I'm just going to insert a question here because I was thinking about this. Do you think Shannon Phillips holds on to her seat in Lethbridge West? Yes, I do. You do? Yeah, I think okay. Lethbridge West West Lethbridge West goes NDP. That's my prediction. Okay, well, I was just curious about that. Um, so, biggest potential surprise on election night. What do you think, Dave? Uh, I think that, well, the biggest, there's, there's a few. I mean, I think we mentioned earlier Calgary Elbow will be an interesting one to watch. Greg Clark, Alberta Party MLA running for re-election. Uh, Doug Schweitzer, former UCP leadership candidate. Um is running running apparently quite quite a strong campaign. It'll be very interesting to see how that that race goes in Calgary Elbow. Uh, I'm going to name two of the seats that I mentioned earlier in the in terms of the ones I'm watching. I think Banff Kananaskis could potentially be interesting, and I'm watching again Fort Saskatchewan Vegerville. Jessica and Littlewood running for re-election. What do you think, Ryan? Is there any any seat that you think might be an upset or a surprise on election night? I'm trying to differentiate between interesting and surprising, and it's hard. So I find Mountain View interesting. You have a party mm. leader. Mm-hmm. You have Kathleen Gainley. You have um, Angela Cocott. You the have... story with the UCP side. Yeah. yeah. So Dave there's a, yeah. who knows what the heck's going to happen there. Mm. And yeah, back to the old song, El- Calgary Elbow and Edmonton McClung, um, mm-hmm. where you know you have a leader and a former leader running. You have the whole, is the Alberta party going to able to, if they can win anywhere, they'll win there. Yeah. So I, I'm having, surprising would be losing 
a party losing a seat that you hadn't anticipated. And 2015 was full of those kind of surprises. Yeah. This, this time I had a hard time thinking of one. Like, if Shannon Phillips keeps her seat, I wouldn't call it surprising. Mm-hmm. If Shannon Phillips, or I mean, if Red Deer flips to UCP, nobody would consider it surprising. You know, it's a weird election. Yeah, even, even some of those Calgary seats that the NDP didn't expect to win in right. Northwest, 2015. Sandra Jensen. Northwest. Oh, she won it for PC. But. Yeah, yeah, uh, um, uh, Calgary Acadia. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the, you know, um, Calgary East, like seats like that that went NDP last time. Yeah. Um, like I'd be, it, it would be a, it would be a surprise upset. They're going to change hands and it won't be a surprise, which is a weird thing. Yeah, yeah. So... And the second question that she had. Oh, yeah. This one was about, uh, so she asks, the Boundary Commission tried to aggregate First Nation voters into certain seats to concentrate their voting power. Have either of you seen any evidence that that will be a factor in any of those seats this time? So point of order. Yeah. Is that an objective fact? That, like, is that a stated fact that they tried to do that? Or is that her analysis? No, no, they did. They tried to put... They literally said, we're trying to concentrate well, First Nations well, votes. Well, what, what, what the issue was is that in, in a number of writings, there were... First Nations communities that bound, bordered each other, but they were split into different ridings. Right, so, so what they, the Boundaries Commission tried to do is if there were First Nations communities that were geographically close together, they tried to include them in, in the same riding. So we're talking cards from Siksika? Cardston, Siksika, Masquachis, Wetaskiwin, uh, Banff, Kananaskis, that kind of, those kind of places. So the first two. Yeah. I also don't really accept the premise that those... First Nations heavy riding should go anti-conservative, but I think that's probably the narrative. And I would say those two ridings are certainly going to be UCP seats. Mm-hmm. Banff and Ask is, is a weird one, and it's probably not a safe conservative vote for sure. So, I yeah, I guess the First Nation vote could be a factor in that one. Yeah, I, th- I think it'll be interesting. Up and like I don't, I, up until two thousand fifteen. Uh, I mean, from from what I've seen, looking at past polling results. Voter turnout in provincial elections from First Nations communities used is traditionally low, and that's not across the board. Like overall, it's low, but I mean, some communities show up in more in larger numbers. In the last election, we had quite a, quite a spike in turn up turnout in First Nations communities, and from what I've seen, a lot of that support was for the NDP, like landslide for the NDP um, in some of these communities and in, in, in the rural areas. So has the NDP done what it had to do to keep that support. Well, like, for well, example, Justin Trudeau yeah. on the liberal side picked up a lot of that as well. And now you've seen some indication that First Nations who came out for him in a belief that he wanted to change the system are going to be very disappointed. So is the NDP going to face something like that? Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to see. I and mean, we'll have to see on, on Election Day. I know that um, that uh, one MLA who I've been following, Bruce Hinckley, who's running for re-election in Masquachis, Wetaskiwin, he was elected in Wetaskiwin Camrose uh, as for the NDP in the last election. So you're adding Masquachis, that's a big change. Yeah, well, the, 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 with Masquachis, it's interesting because it was actually, um, previously, the there's about five, I think there's five First Nations communities that make up Masquachis, and they mm-hmm. were split between two ridings. So they were in, um, some of them were in, Wetaskiwin and Camrose and the other ones were in, I think we're in Drayton Valley, Devon. I think there was another one that was like in Lacombe Pinoca. So they were like divided mm-hmm. um, between three ridings. And this is the first election since I think 2001 or 1997 that those communities are all in one electoral district. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see. I know he's been spending a lot of time in those, in those communities from what I can see on his social media feeds. So it'll be interesting to see whether there is turnout and yeah, whether it is, you know, uniform one way, we don't know that. Mm-hmm. So it, it's interesting. Good question. Our next one comes from Politicoast. Uh, they ask, will Jason Kenney's aggressive stance toward BC and Ottawa be counterproductive to Alberta's economic goals? So can we, 
what do we think those economic goals are, first of all? Building the pipeline. Build a pipeline. So getting oil to tidewater. Jobs in the economy. Pipeline, jobs, economy. I mean, this is a subjective, this is in a way. And these guys are from, this is a, these guys are a podcast from, from British Columbia, Politicoast. Like in a way, this question is the question of the election. Mm -hmm. Like, (laughs) well, from the UCP side, it is 40 in the last, in the, in the current political poll tracker that I saw on CBC, about 53% of people would feel one way and 43 would feel the other way, right? Like this Mm -hmm. is the question. So I wrote down, this is a subjective question. Many say that, no, this won't be counterproductive. This will be important. And that's been Kenny, Kenny's whole thing. What I will say is he's put a lot of his political capital on this new approach, the fight back strategy, this, this idea. And, you know, um, their second question is, what are the results on the federal election? And that's related to my answer here. You're about to have potentially an alliance between Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and Ontario as an explicit block against Justin Trudeau's government kind of against BC and Quebec. And so um, it very much will have an effect on the federal election. If you have Premier Ford, Premier Kenny, Premier Pallister, Premier... The guy in Saskatchewan? I'm so bad for that. Mo. Mo. Oh, yeah, Mo. that's right. Of course. Mo. You know, that's... And I get that they're not appealing to everyone. They're probably not appealing to the two of you. But as a coherent, powerful block, that's a big chunk of the economy. Mm-hmm. And so... Justin Trudeau has a lot riding on Tuesday as well. Yeah. What do you think, Dave? I think it will be very interesting just to watch how interprovincial relations work under Jason Kenney, especially around uh, the pipeline, around environmental issues. He's talked about how he's going to take a much more aggressive stance. I'm not sure that... I I think there, there are some challenges to that. I don't necessarily think going out and picking fights with... Uh, with other provinces is really going to accomplish much for Alberta's goals. I mean, the threat it's, it's of... It's been pretty good for Quebec over 150 Yeah, years. but Quebec is a different... Quebec is... That's a different... Quebec is, exists in its own... It's, we, the reasons why Quebec is why Quebec is is not the same as why Alberta is Alberta. For sure, but, but being very strong on their jurisdiction is a model with some demonstrable success. So, so so specifically around the pipeline issue, I think Alberta taking a really aggressive stance towards British Columbia, uh, threatening to turn off the pipes, turn off the turn off the oil pipelines, which is something the NDP passed in legislation but didn't actually it didn't actually impl- implement because it's very likely unconstitutional. Uh, I don't my my prediction is that only increases opposition to pipelines in pu- terms of public support in British Columbia. I don't think that there's a view in Alberta that the reason why pipelines are the pipeline is stalled is because of Ottawa, because Trudeau stopped it, and because of environmental protesters in British Columbia. Now, the reason why the pipeline is stalled is because the Federal Court of Appeal stepped in and said the National Energy Board didn't do its due diligence around environmental assessment, and the federal government didn't properly consult First Nations before it approved in the in the final phase of approval before the, the federal government approved the pipeline. Yeah, but you're you're you you are underselling the role that the protest on the West Coast has been. Yeah, and that's but that's that's democracy, right? But that's what I was going to say. This is all political. Yeah, like it's a fundamentally political conversation. When, it it and is tactic. political, and and what I think is going to be interesting is whether when if Jason when if Jason Kenney becomes premier and the carbon tax is repealed, which is what he's, the provincial carbon tax is repealed, mm-hmm. is what, she's, what, what he said he was going to do. If the cap on emissions is, a, is repealed, which I believe he said he's going to do, those, those, and, the, and the climate leadership plan is, is repealed. And but Kenny has environmental said. And, and, and energy efficiency Alberta is dissolved. 
these are part. The, these were part of the arguments that Trudeau said Trudeau used to get approval for the pipeline in cabinet. Now it has to go back to to the Liberal cabinet for mm-hmm. approval. I mean, but what if there is no Liberal cabinet after October? I mean, it's all political. Yeah. But to be fair, Kenny's platform has said that they can achieve eighty six percent of the reduction without um, as much economic pain. I know that's a political argument, but the eighty six percent of the reduction is significant. So. And we all know that the feds are going to implement the carbon tax, mm-hmm. which is why there's a court challenge on the carbon tax. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of moving parts here. Mm-hmm. But I would think I, I understand the appeal to the voters who want someone to stand up for Alberta mm-hmm. and to say. But, to but Ottawa, we're talking we're talking about the effectiveness of Kenny's what 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 Kenny is proposing to do with yeah. with the other provinces and with the federal government. Yeah. I think I think Jason Kenny becomes a, uh, an effective foil for Justin Trudeau. Justin mm-hmm. Trudeau loses, and in a way. It, it's almost easier for Justin Trudeau if Jason Kenney becomes Premier of Alberta because well, clear... the, because the, def, the, the the relationship is clear. But he's already got that with Doug Ford. Yeah, but 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 the relation because but with Rachel Notley, it's more complicated. It's like on Facebook. It's like you know relationship. It's complicated, right? Because I think they were playing a lot of footsie under because, the table. Well, no, no, but be, because they they you know Rachel Notley and J- and Justin Trudeau on a lot of issues, interprovincial issues and national issues, they line up in terms of their agenda. But they're not from the same party, mm-hmm. and they were—they're actually quite adversarial when the pipeline got when the pipeline was stalled. So it's almost easier if mm-hmm. if it's just an opponent because Justin Trudeau does not lose anything politically if no, you're right. If if Two he seats. if if he goes to war with or if Jason yeah. Kenney goes to war with with uh, with Justin Trudeau and and there, I mean I think Jason Kenney himself is actually a uh, is probably a good re- I mean it is probably a good foil. For Justin Trudeau, both, both Kenny and ways. Doug Ford, right? Yeah, but that works both ways too. Justin Trudeau is the perfect foil for yeah. Jason Kenny. I think this is but, the most. But, but the battle, beca- the battle. I mean, my my my, my prediction is is the ba- the battle becomes between Justin Trudeau and Jason Kenny and Doug Ford, and Andrew Shear is sitting as a secondary character, because both Doug Ford and Jason Kenny are more prominent conservatives in this country than Andrew Scheer is. Right, and we just saw yesterday a new poll federally, I forget which one, fairly credible one now showing the conservatives with a significant lead over Justin Trudeau. Yeah, no, but that's not, that's not that's, the conservatives have been leading the liberals for months. No, no, not federally. <clears throat> I'm Not on this one. Now, I'm not saying it won't change, but yeah. you may be right that Ford and Kenny take up a lot of the oxygen, for yeah. sure, but they won't be on the ballot. Like, Sheer will uh, have but, his moment. But, but they will be on the ballot. Which will benefit Sheer. Yeah. I, I do agree with you that Kenny and Trudeau will love to have each other to run against in every sense of the word, in fundraising, in rhetoric, in everything. And yeah. And they both don't have a lot to lose yeah. politically. And, and, and I think with Jason Kenny, with the amount of time he spent talking about foreign-funded anti-oil environmental groups, I think Jason Kenney himself will probably be the best recruitment tool for those groups yeah. in British Columbia. There'll be, there'll be uh, thousands of young British Columbians totally. lining up to join environmental groups yeah. to stop the pipeline from that damn climate change denying Albertan. It works both ways. Yeah. All right, let's move on to our next question from Larry. There's a lengthy preamble here, but ultimately this is about the kamikaze campaign. Larry's not a fan. He's worried about what's happening with this whole issue. One of his first questions is why would Kenny bother with a kamikaze campaign at all. Kenny ended up with 61% of the leadership race votes. Gene had 31. The Delta was over 17,000 votes. Why bother with a kamikaze candidate when the race wasn't even close? Ryan, you get the first go at this. Larry, you're right. That's why he didn't. This whole thing is not proven. You can stomp your feet and you can yell and you can write the same question to me again and again and again. No one has ever shown that Kenny played any role. 
Matt Wolf sent some emails. Clearly, we've all read them. Said some but dr- s- draft speeches, advertisements, has social anyone, media videos. Yeah, but has anyone thought about maybe advice. that was because the Callaway campaign had no idea what they were doing and were so bad that they like? Sure, Cam Davies and Matt Wolf are emailing each other, but the idea that Kenny created this has been—it hasn't been proven false because you can't prove you can't prove it false. If there was more to it, if it was provably true, it would have come out by now. You've got Brian Jean, Cam Davies, and a bunch of those types of actors continuing to keep the story going. Well, why? It's because Kenny beat them all. The very fact that he won so badly is why I said I don't believe this from the beginning. Hmm. So he didn't need to. And I know for a fact they weren't afraid of Brian Jean. At no point did they say to themselves, if we don't run this kamikaze campaign, we're going to lose. It was probably some staffers with too much time on their hands. And the, the, the Callaway people were so terrible so anyway, I reject the premise of your question, Larry, and we'll wait for number two. What do you think, Dave? The, the Jeff Callaway campaign, I think for all intents and purposes, was a branch of the Jason Kenney campaign for the UCP leadership. You look at those emails. Though, oh, do you think that, Jason that, himself, the leadership? I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I find it hard to believe that someone like Matt Wolf, who is one of Jason Kenney's chief strategists, his director of operations, who is meeting with him every day to go over the campaign, I, I find it, I, I think it would be very hard to believe that, that he did not at some point inform, oh yeah, by the way, I'm writing speeches for Jeff Calloway. I'm, I'm sending so, these emails. I'm, I have a know. question for you. Okay. We've established Cam Davies has a lot to lose and despises Jason Kenney. And we've, we've also established that this is still uncertain. Mm-hmm. Don't you think a month later, if there was more, we wouldn't see more? Like, I don't know. We've seen everything. And I actually know someone well, but, but, who has read them all. We've seen it. This is it. Which is why the RCMP are not looking into Jason Kenney. The RCMP are looking into Jeff Calloway. So I get that people like Larry despise Jason Kenney and can't fathom why I don't and everybody else doesn't either. But there's no there there. This story had a little bit of there, but it wasn't what they wanted it to be. And if it was, Cam Davies by now would have leaked more out there. He's facing, what, $10,000 in fines, potential jail time? Cam Davies and others like him would have put more out if there was more. What we saw was Matt Wolf. And it was not optimal, for sure. And it looks terrible. But he it wasn't... was basically a branch of the I mean, Jeff Kelly's campaign. From what we've seen in these these emails that were released, was basically you know it was being directed by Kenny's campaign. So let's move on to number so... two. <laughs> we've been fighting this the whole no, time. No, no, no. We we have we have there there is there there. I mean, I don't think that I think what what. If you're angry about this, you, there could be frustration. I mean, I don't, I don't well, know, I don't know, why, there, I don't know, I don't know why it was done. I don't the know there why that's because, there. because I think Kenny could have won fair and fair and square on. But the own. there that's there is no one, not no illegal. One, no one's being led away in handcuffs. And it's it's not illegal. Like there's a difference yeah. between political strategy, which in in hindsight looks stupid, and illegal activities. Mm-hmm. And there's well, so yeah, on the money and, thing, the money thing, RCMP just, that's separate. That's why Kenny's not under RCMP investigation. That there clearly was illegal conduct. But Jeff Calloway is the guy, the campaign that's under that. And so when you go to number two, around... This is the second question that Larry asked. Do you want yeah, to... Use, uh, Larry asked... I'll what, catch my breath while you do Yeah, what do you think the outcome of the inquiry will be? Uh, so given that we don't... I mean, it's Jason Kenney's not officially under investigation. What's going to happen? He tells my point here. So yada, 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 once plausible disability runs out... The proverbial birds will start singing. Well, what I'm telling you, Larry, is the birds have had a motive to sing like canaries for the last month. And once we all found out they were facing jail time and significant fines, and they clearly have no loyalty to anyone, like on the Kenny side, the birds have sung. They've said their story. They've spun their yarns. And that's all there was to it. There aren't other birds waiting to sing. And in fact, the time to do it was two weeks ago. I really feel like Jason Kenny in this issue faced 
all the heat. Like, they brought it all. And in the end, it was political. It was probably ill-advised. But there wasn't this big illegal thing. Mm-hmm. And he still won by 17,000 votes. Yeah. What, what do you think, Dave? What's the outcome going to be? I don't know. I mean, I think that I, I, I've said it on this podcast before. I think the elections commissioner office gets dissolved this summer. Um, and then there'll be the, the elections office won't have the resources to continue this investigation, um, which is a political decision. Uh, but I do think it'll be interesting to see what happens with the RCMP and whether whether there is a full investigation and and uh, and whether they follow where the money came from for uh, for Callaway's but campaign. I don't think I don't think I don't think the UCP is out of the clear on this one. I don't think this will have a massive impact in terms of the election. Like at this point, I don't think it's going to change mm-hmm. many people's minds. But I think that this is this is a cloud. If the UCP wins, you know, this is going to be a cloud hanging over Jason Kenney's government going into uh, going into their first term in government if they get elected. I'm just saying they're looking now. The and RCMP the birds are, is investigating. And the birds are singing. Yeah. So, Well, we'll see. It's springtime in Alberta, everybody. Uh, just like in Game of Thrones, the like little birds. Little birds. Except for winter, winter is coming. In. Yeah, if you're you guys, winter is definitely coming. <laughs> the Night King. You haven't made any Night King jokes. Oh, jeez. I, I, you know, I just need to rewatch it to make sure I get my cultural references correct. Our next question is also related to this. Dick Ritchie asks, uh, what's the best case scenario and worst case scenario for Jason Kenney, if he's found guilty of election fraud, no. So I know, I know, Ryan. I know he's not. A- I, 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 okay. I, I'm going to step in. I think we've learned if there's anything about conservative politics in this country, it's that the guy on top never goes to jail. <laughs> uh, you remember robocalls? Like it'll be if someone. That's if so- not conservative politics. That's politics. politics. I guess so. I mean, sure. when was who was the liberal who went to jail? Well, did did Kretchen face any of the? No, exactly. So it's the you know the little guy. Yeah, yeah. So, but you so, say conservative politics. So well, okay, well, conser- okay. Well, you know, if if I I don't think Jason Kenney will be charged if, with elections fraud. I don't think it'll ever it'll ever get that far. If if I had eight arms, I'd be an octopus. Like I don't mean to make <laughs> a joke of it, but the premise that Dick Ritchie um, seems to imply is that Jason Kenney is under investigation for election fraud, which he's not. All right. Well, I'm sick of talking about this. Okay, let's move so on. Let's move on. To our next question from Stephen McPherson. He says that we left out Derek Fildebrand when we discussed what each of the leaders will likely do if they lose. Uh, it's a good point. So mm-hmm. if Derek yes. Fildebrand loses, uh, one of Stephen's questions is, do you think he'll run federally for Bernier? Oui, oui. Absolutely. <laughs> he's probably got the signs built already. You There's think so? no doubt in my mind. And then he'll get to run in the same riding again. And Leela, he'll get to be mean to Leela again. Of course he's running for the PPC. Yeah. Derek is, I don't know what he would do without politics. Yeah. He yeah. absolutely would run for I mean, PPC. he's got property he can uh, rent out on Airbnb. We know that's a th- No, that was the taxpayer. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> what do you think? Do you think similarly, Dave, that he'll I, go and run for Bernier? Yeah, I think that if, if, if Derek Fildebrandt doesn't get reelected, I think we'll see him on a ballot somewhere in Alberta in, uh, in October. So Stephen asked a second question, and that is, if the NDP lose the election, what do you think? I like this question. What do you think will be their supporters' biggest policy regret? that the NDP didn't implement when they had the chance. And he gives two potential examples. He says PR, proportional representation, or sales tax. What do you think, Dave? What do you think the big policy regret will be? Well, I mean, they said they were never going to do a sales tax. And they took, I think they actually took proportional representation out of their party constitution before the 2015 election. Same with the sales tax. If you go back a little ways, they're both Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, maybe... Something having to do with with increasing royalties, building um, a pipe. But, well, may, maybe <laughs> we'll see. Uh, I think I think one of one of them actually is isn't sales tax and isn't pro- 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 proportional representation. I think it's full day kindergarten. 
Mm, yeah. I, think, I think that was something that a lot of NDP supporters probably would have, I, would have wanted to see. There's no evidence to tell me that that was important to them. They had four years to do it. And she only well, you know, said, I know that's, I think that the question is, what will they, okay. Will, yeah. will, will be, be disappointed. If you're, but, if you're running the Shannon Phillips and Sarah Hoffman, David Egan leadership campaigns, what are you going to say We yeah. where, where we drop the ball? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Full day kindergarten? Because you implement that, that and you can never take it away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same with the sales tax. I'm going to go with sales tax. Yeah. I think all of them love taxes and rev- government revenue, and they're going to realize when David Kahn's making the argument for it, their base would have supported it absolutely. There's no NDP member who would have been mad if they had done it. So Fair enough. And I think pipeline. Sure. Okay, our next question. This one's directed to you, Ryan, and it's from someone you know. It's from Julie Rohr, who's a friend of the pod. Um, she asks, does the voter fraud investigation give any pause in your support and admiration for Jason Kenney? Let me finish the question before you answer. If the results of the investigation show he's implicated somehow, that he willingly cheated to win, do you still stand by him? Or, or I guess her other question is, what would you have to do? What would he have to do to lose your support? Now, you and Julie know each other. I do know Julie. Right. And we've had many conversations, public and private. This is basically the equivalent of when did you stop beating your wife? <laughs> Like, you're putting a premise of um, if he's found to be guilty of crimes, will you support him less? Well, of course I will. The point is, I don't think he's guilty of a crime. The point is, Julie, although you've decided and convinced yourself that you can't fathom why voters continue to support Jason Kenney, first of all, I don't accept, I don't feel the way you feel about him. Mm Mm-hmm. And neither does apparently a large selection of the electorate. So he's not under investigation. Of course, I, I, if, I don't think Julie is suggesting that I'm unreasonable or unthinking. Of course, things like this give me pause in my support for a party leader. I'm not like a total sycophant. I've sent some texts this election about why do certain things keep happening. Of course, <laughs> like I'm not. I think the premise and why I'm on this show is not to be an unthinking conservative robot, but I am a conservative and on specific allegations against Jason Kenney, the point is nothing has been tied to him yet beyond the fact that people who didn't like him still really, really, really don't. So Julie, like, well, you know, we'll talk about this when this is over. But, you know, your example about, well, if Nandel or Notley were guilty of something, they'd lose my support. Well, yeah, of course they would. Just like if Kenny's guilty of something, I wouldn't support that either. There you go. I think that answers that question. Julie did have one more question. And she asks, how will the new government work to heal the divisions that this election has caused and bring Albertans together. It's a tough one. You want to take that one, Dave? Do you think there's anything that a UCP government or an NDP government could do to heal the rift politically that we're experiencing right now? No, I don't think that's going to be part of their agenda. I think that if the UCP gets elected, they're going to go straight into the summer and Kenny said summer of repeal and they're going to implement a lot of this, a lot of their, a lot of their policy, a lot of their legislation. It's going to be very divisive. Um, I don't think that Jason Kenney has a mandate, or that's part of his mandate, to unite Albertans. Yeah. No, this is politics. It's divide and conquer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. what, do you, what do you think, Ryan? This is actually Kristen Raywood. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's I'm just because the way we edited it. Um, so I can't speak for the government or anything else, but if I was asked, I would uh, suggest that it is up to the winner to demonstrate grace um, because losing is really hard. And winning, you know, there's hard feelings both ways. Mm-hmm. But usually the person who won has the onus of reaching out and saying to folks, you know what, um, for example, maybe you didn't support me, but I'm I'm your premier or I'm your MLA. So I think it'll be incumbent on the winner to 
demonstrate to Albertans? Because if it's the other way around, believe me, a lot of people in rural Alberta mm-hmm. in Drayton Valley aren't going to feel like Rachel Notley supported them any more than Jason Kenny. Mm-hmm. People in city center will feel. So I would put that onus and I'd say that this show will help call on the, the government to be magnanimous. Yeah. All right. Our next question comes from frequent flyer Mountain Ted. He asks, what will change for the federal party leaders after the election? We, t- we touched on this a little bit, but I mean. We touched on it. But yeah. yeah. It's a clear new world for Justin Trudeau. In 2015, there was Christy Clark, Kathleen Wynne. The one in Newfoundland and Labrador. Kathy Dunderdale. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> there were several more liberal, not just friendly governments, but explicitly liberal party governments. Mm-hmm. He's now facing the majority of the population of this country and the huge majority of the economy of this country in direct, explicit opposition to his mandate. Like if you watch Ontario ministers, federal ministers and provincial ministers in Ontario, they go at it like cats and dogs. Mm-hmm. So Justin Trudeau is facing a very new Hi, and I, I know that there's going to be some benefit to him on that too, on fundraising and on motivating his base, but it's a whole new world of politics for him. And he's the one now facing re-election, whereas Kenny and Ford are safe, right? Yeah. They have three or four years to to get it again. Yeah. And t- talking about the other two main party leaders federally, I mean, I think, I mean, I've, I've already said this, but Andrew Scheer, um, Jason Kenney's the top dog. Andrew Scheer's a secondary character in, in the in the conservative movement in this in this country uh, compared to Jason Kenney. Um and for the NDP, for Jagmeet Singh, I think it's a... I forget about it. Yeah, so, but for the federal NDP, I don't, you know, We're, not not, Notley, ha, not having an NDP government in Alberta is probably, is, is much easier. Didn't for Notley rebuke him, specifically said he, she doesn't want him coming here to campaign? Basically, yeah. <laughs> Basically, I don't know. Yeah. And I don't know what the upside for either of them would be campaigning here either. Okay. Yeah. All right, our next question from Ben Boots. What UCP policy is Ryan most excited about seeing enacted into legislation? Um, I really like some of the support that they put out for victims of um, sexual assault mm-hmm. and for the funding of rape kits in smaller communities. You know, I, it's hard to pick one. There's 380 promises or something like that. And I'm, I'm a conservative because I'm generally supportive of the conservative approach to governing. But that was one that I, I thought he didn't need – Jason Kenney didn't need to do it. To win. Yeah. He, you know, he probably didn't gain a lot of votes. No one whose chief motivation is that issue swung their vote to him because of it. Um, it was done purely out of the promises made purely out of this is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And so that's the kind of stuff that all, you know, I'm excited about. And I love that corporate tax rate going down. <laughs> and right. per- personal tax rate d- going down would be better. But I'm rolling my said, eyes. I'm rolling my eyes here. <laughs> he yeah. said he can't lower my taxes. So. Oh, well. You should, you should vote NDP. Um, Joshua Wafler Thomas asks, while the Green Party won't likely win a seat in this election, do you think that the growing trend of elected Green candidates, including a, pro- a possible Green government in Prince Edward Island, will ever hit Alberta? What would it take to do so? And which riding would be most likely to go Green? What do you think, Dave? Do you, is that something we'll see in our lifetime? I think it will. Yeah, no, I think not this election and maybe not the next election and maybe not the next election after that. <laughs> but no, no, I do, th- I do think that there's a trend towards, I mean, we've seen it, seen it nationally and we'll see if it continues. Uh, the Greens, I mean, they look like they're about to form government in Prince Edward Island of all places. And you never would have thought that two cycles ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, r- writings that I'm looking at that might be interesting for the Greens going forward, like one that immediately pops into my mind is Calgary Mountain View. Really? Yeah, da- case, core of Calgary elected for you for for 15 years elected David Swan, who is an environmentalist himself, was running as a liberal, 
Um, so there's a progressive base of voters so there. So is that why it's the progressive base that makes you say that? The progressive base and that that Swan was such an outspoken environmentalist on a lot of issues, um, and and was easy, easily elected in that riding n- numerous times. Yeah, no, I think I think a riding like like Mountain View would would be uh, would be interesting. For the I Greens. actually I have a different take. I mean, ever is a big word. I think mm-hmm. eventually mm-hmm. the problem is one of the differences: the NDP are nowhere in PEI, so there was a void on that side. Mm-hmm. The Green vote here would proportionately be a huge takeaway from the NDP. But I think if they were to make uh, a breakout, I would actually put Banff Kananaskis mm, or yeah. or that riding Howard Anglin's running in. Somewhere. Joe, Joe Anglin. Sorry. Joe, Joe Anglin. <laughs> I think that there's some, if there's a path to the Greens, it won't be the progressive urban mm-hmm. centers. It'll be the um, like conservationists. The conservationists. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. The anti-corporate, populist, conservationist vote. So mm-hmm. Banff Kananaskis or, um, you know, that whole side of the province. The eastern slopes. I'm far from predicting them breaking through this time or next time, yeah. but I would think that has every month. Now, but they'd have to run like a socially, at least a social conservative neutral campaign. It couldn't be a generically mm-hmm. left-wing mm-hmm. campaign. It would have to be specifically conservationist. I, I would be maybe not surprised to see Green Party candidates get votes, but I think what's going to, what's likely er to happen is that some of the mainstream parties start adapting some pretty interesting green and climate policies as, well, we, NDP, as we watch the planet melt in front of us? How could the... This is the thing. There's no space on the knees. The NDP owns that space. Yeah. Like, if you're a reasonable person well, and you want to be in government and you're an environmentalist activist, you're not going to run for the Greens in Alberta. You're going to run for the NDP. I don't necessarily agree with that because I think that a lot of sort of activist leftists uh, are pissed off at the NDP because mm-hmm. they support pipelines. Yeah. So there's no natural home for a lot of them. Because it, it's such a central part of our dynamic here yeah. that the NDP has been forced to. Well, it is right now. Sure. But I think that some people yeah. – now, this doesn't mean that a candidate gets elected from the Green Party. But certainly some of those leftists' uh, activist votes will park their votes with the Green Party. Um, but I, I, I'd i be surprised to see the Greens make – form government outside of PEI in my lifetime. All right, our next question comes from Aiden Kroll for Comrade Dave and Red Tory Ryan. What would the NDP need to do to get votes in rural Alberta, and what would the UCP need to do to steal votes in Edmonton? Why is one get and one steal? (laughs) (laughs) I think, I mean, I'm being funny, but I think it also betrays, again, this idea that his subjective view on things. This is, is politics. Everything is subjective, Ryan. It is. Okay, so let's uh, get over being offended by that, Ryan. What do you think? <laughs> what would the NDP so, need to do? Well, we rural? have a model of that. Last time, how did the NDP win Alberta rural seats? Everyone was super pissed at the Conservatives. Yeah, and they had local candidates who theoretically were credible enough to overcome this like idea of voting the NDP in rural Alberta. Now other provinces vote rural NDP, like the mm-hmm. Saskatchewan party. The, so what would they have to do? Well, people would have to be upset with the conservatives and they'd have to look reasonable. This, like, for example, Linda Duncan wouldn't sell in the rural side. The NDP has always been a, a coalition party. You guys know more about it than I do. But there's always been a prairie populist mm-hmm. thing. And, you know, that's that's still there. Yeah. Now, to win seats in, in Edmonton, they just have to look like reasonable, normal Edmontonians. Like, they... We will win seats in Edmonton. We're never going. It's not like we're never going to win a seat in Edmonton again. And so, if you look back at how the PCs used to win seats here, it was by having moderates in place and people who were just strong governance candidates. What do you think, Dave? 
Yeah, I, I, don't, I mean, I don't think it's it's impossible for conservatives to win in Edmonton. Conservatives, they win in Edmonton federally all the time. They've won in Edmonton before the 2015 election. The conservative, the progressive conservatives had seats in, in Edmonton. Um, I mean, looking, I don't know if we're ta- you're talking about this specific election, um, but like looking forward, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, having people with, you know, more moderate political views that are reflective of of where the where the voting population is, um, you know, I guess we'll see what happens with if, if the UCP forms government and how they act on things like funding for public services and if there are cuts and if there are, uh, you know, are layoffs, that'll definitely impact. And we saw that during the Klein era. There was, you know, Edmonton was this kind of red uh, red liberal bastion at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that point, we hadn't had a change in government in a number of years. So in, in a lot of ways, the, scenarios, the scenario is totally different. How the NDP wins votes in rural Alberta? Yeah, I think running credible candidates with cred, you know, credible real campaigns with credible candidates, it's it is possible. Um, you know, Grant Notley himself, Rachel Notley's dad was an MLA for a northern rural Alberta riding, um, Fairview Spirit River, which is now most of the Dunvegan Central Peace, mm-hmm. or Dunvegan Central Peace or Central Peace Notley riding is what it's called. Now. They yeah. actually named the riding after him. Yeah. Um, so We're, yeah, it, it 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 is possible. I think that right now in this election, it's it's difficult because of the economic situation in a lot of small rural, smaller rural communities that depend heavily on oil and gas, uh, and Bill 6, and the kind of animosity that was created at the beginning of the NDP's term in rural Alberta, which which really didn't need to happen. It didn't need to happen that way, but that's politics. It yeah. happened that way, and I think that in, in, in most rural ridings, the die is cast, and it's... Uh, yeah. yeah. And in competitive, in other provinces around the country where two parties may win any given election, none of this is cut and dried. Mm-hmm. Like, it's competitive mm-hmm. in every place. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go to Ontario, the competitive parties are competitive everywhere. Yeah. You don't have this, you know, the wall separating the wildlings from the Westerosians. Like, you yeah. have people mixed together. Yeah, and I think in, in, you know, this election, it's a pretty it's a pretty deep rural, urban-rural divide when you look at that, the polls. But I think, I mean, we'll see what happens in this election. But going ahead in, into... When's the next election? 2023, 2024? It doesn't have to be the same way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Our next question is from Andrew Hutton. He wants to know, is it actually at all plausible? So, Ryan, this is torqued against you. <laughs> that Kenny uh, could scrap the carbon tax, then block the federally mandated carbon tax, then score us a sweet deal in a new equalization formula, and push a pipeline through. His color commentary is that it sounds too good to be true. So I appreciate Andrew listening and writing his question, but I want him to pause and to remember that you could ask yourself, you could list off Rachel Notley's promises and say to yourself, is it really possible that someone could do all this? And all the conservative-leaning listeners would be like, obviously not. That's <laughs> crazy. Like, So, yes. I mean, I guess to be, to be honest, Jason Kenney has framed the last three years around this, and we'll find out soon. Mm-hmm. But... Um, you know, to say, is it really possible that a, con- a candidate I don't support's promises could actually come true is betraying the subjectivity of your point of view. So um, I'm not saying this because I'm a conservative. I think I'm self-aware enough to know that the question is it's so- like Schrodinger's cat. The- to ask the question changes the answer. Mm-hmm. So to mix in another analogy. Um, <laughs> now so, I mean, now do a Game of Thrones reference. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Is, is Daenerys Targaryen really going to change the system? Or is she going to just burn King's Landing to the ground and be queen of the ashes? Like, 
this is, and I've said this so many times, this is why we have politics. So if you if you don't support Jason Kenney, you don't believe any of that is true. If you don't, if you support Jason Kenney and the UCP, you believe it is true. Yeah. Go, go for it, Dave. <laughs> not true, possible. Go no. for it, Dave. The, uh, uh, I mean, yeah, I think they're going to, they'll scrap the provincial carbon tax and then try to fight a federal one from being Im- implemented. On the equalization point, that is such like a, it's just a political talking point. There's no scenario that exists out there or is even possible to exist under the current circumstances where an equalization formula gets written or created where Alberta gets money from the from the rest of Canada. Like that's just because we have, you know, unemployment levels are high, yeah. A lot of people are in, are in bad situations, yeah, but our economy is still humming along. Um, compared to other provinces. Compared to everywhere, every, basically everywhere else in Canada. But the form... The structure of equalization is built into the Constitution. The formula is not. They chose to leave it alone last time. I think I kind of agree with you. Like, there's no silver bullet there, but the formula can be adjusted a little mm. bit. Oh, okay. yeah, it can, it can be changed. But but there's no scenario where Alberta starts getting as much money as, as have-not provinces, like, in the Maritimes. Like, that's just not going to happen, What no, regardless of what, you know, as much as how 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 how, uh, yeah. how loud Jason Kenney thumps his chest. And don't forget, this is a country where... a quarter of the population hasn't signed on to the constitution like <laughs> can, right. it's hard to get things done in yeah. canada there's, so. there's yeah there, and i don't i don't suspect that an, uh, that uh, that this trudeau is going to reopen the constitution imagine that in the states if 12 states because equi- it's the equivalent of 12 states but even with an even deeper divide if like the entire west didn't sign the constitution oh man like canada is a real tough country to govern and this is part of why uh, I, I see in our future the Sylvan Lake Accords as we <laughs> go back to look at the Constitution. Our next question from Jonathan Hyman. Jonathan asks, uh, I would love to know your opinion on the actual effectiveness of a government. So can you guys talk about the difference between governance and politics? And then in that context, if you could choose a dream team of six MLAs to govern, only ranked by their ability to govern, what would the dream team look like? So... It's a, it's a it's a great question actually that the actual effectiveness of, of a government if you remove politics from it and think only about governance is it even possible I just hate to sound like such a broken record broken record but you cannot separate politics from governing like it's a deeply political governing is deeply political so um, if you're fair to the mandate, sorry, if you're fair to Rachel Notley, you're looking back at the last four years, she probably did address everything in her platform. Mm-hmm. They track it and it's true. She did something on each of the files. Uh, so if you look at it from that perspective, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the right things, right? <laughs> she just did what she said she would do. And 60% of the province didn't vote for that. So like, how do you say that was good governance? I say that was political governance. So I... It's a tough one to answer. Like, I don't know if you have a better answer, guys, but I... I, I don't think you can separate politics and governance. Poor, to, poor like, Jonathan. Like, no, no, no. But I think like, like we have elections. We have a political system. We, we live in a democracy. Uh, and even is, if we didn't, it would be political. Yeah. Right? Like even in a tyrannical government, it's a political... Like, like the one they have in Ontario, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> this is some political philosophy, right? Like yeah. if we are sovereign people... And we have a role in choosing our leaders. It will be political. And if it's not, it's still political because the strong man is winning. So how do you – this is why there's platforms and promises and people track it and people get to decide. Every four years, every government automatically loses its seats and has to be reelected and they they face us again. So at least we have that comfort. It's never undoable. I mean I understand Jonathan's question. If only – 
we could take the politics out of government, uh, it would be amazing. And I think, you know, or I suspect the question is being asked because it was, it has been a brutal election. Who's your dream team? Did you do that? Yeah, let's talk about this. The, The political dream team of six MLAs to govern only ranked by their ability to govern. Okay, so we have Jon Snow. (laughs) <laughs> we have Davos Seaworth. Oh, I like him. Yeah, yeah he's my too. he's my favorite character. He's I got think. a great accent. Too. Uh, yeah, is would, he from Scotland? Uh, I think he might be. Yeah. yeah. Would Would Stannis be on anyone's no. list? No, <laughs> no, no. Everybody hates Stannis. Oh, <laughs> that guy. He was terrible. Uh, um, uh, Brienne of Tarth. Oh yeah. Mm. Who I actually was in an elevator with at. Uh, really? Yeah. At, How tall uh, is she? I. She's like six foot. Two or she's I think she's might be taller than you. Like she's she could definitely she's tall. Beat me up. Um, it was in a question. hotel elevator. We were staying at the same hotel in Calgary when she was there for their com, their expo. Oh, for expo, yeah. yeah. Did you and fangirl or does she just like look no, straight ahead? No, well, I just I recognized her, but like I didn't say anything because you know she's she, she's going to her, she's either going leaving her hotel or going to the hotel. Like I'm not going to bother, but but I, I she's awesome. very tall. Anyway, wow, my, we're, my, we're my, nerds. so those are your three. Those are my three Game of Thrones MLAs. Um, I, this is a hard question to ask because it's I, I when you talk about like credentialism and stuff with MLAs. I mean, mm. if you're talking about like who are my favorite cabinet ministers, like who I think are the most effective cabinet ministers right now. I mean, I'd say like Sarah Hoffman is definitely at the top of my list. I think Daniel Larravee is on the list. Um, but when you're talking about individual MLAs, it's hard to tell how an MLA as as a candidate. It's hard to tell how they're going to do as an MLA. You can have someone who is, uh, you know, the most credentialed person, has a PhD, has a law degree, is a former corporate executive or a mayor or an executive director of a nonprofit who excelled in their field. And then they end up, some of them end up just being total duds as MLAs. I actually think Um, that happens more often than not. Because politics is a profession. Absolutely. And then you get people who are just normal people who come from, you know, regular jobs and they don't have law degrees or, Mm -hmm. or PhDs or they don't, you know, they're not prominent people that you'd see in the newspaper and they end up being fantastic politicians. So it's like, it's that type of, Mm -hmm. that, that type of question is hard to answer. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, 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 you know, we've talked about Sandra Jensen and her comments about electricians, you know, when the NDP were elected in 2015, I don't know how many times I heard conservatives talk, oh, there's a barista and a yoga instructor, ha, ha, ha. They don't, they're not serious people. Right. You know, like, no, that's, they're normal people. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, you know, these, we're it's supposed representative. To, it's representative. It's probably more representative. There were, I mean, I think one of the biggest differences between this legislature in 2015 and the previous one is there were less real estate agents and less lawyers. What, um, what you know, so. I agree. I agree with most of you. The line for me is those who then do something with it. Mm-hmm. And also rewinding from there, those who tried hard. Mm-hmm. Paper paper candidates kind of drive me crazy. Mm-hmm. But No, but paper candidates can excel yeah. a- as MLAs when give, you know, if, if, you're they, if they be, take advantage of the right, opportunity. Right. Yeah, I so. don't think it's right to, to call out Trevor Horn for being a barista because yeah. you know what? We all, I flip burgers at Wendy's, yeah. totally. But okay, now the electorate has voted for you. Mm-hmm. You spent $0 campaigning. You didn't work hard. I'll give you that, but now you better earn it. And so some of the paper candidates did not do a good yep. job, mm-hmm. and some of them have. Yep. So, but I agree with you. You can't suck and blow at the same time on that. <laughs> like, if we want re- normal people in, you can't be upset when normal people get in. Is that actually a, a saying? You can't suck and blow at the same time? Yeah. Yeah. Because that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. But I also, talking, now that I've, I don't want to keep repeating it because now it sounds vulgar, but talking on the other <laughs> side of my mouth, it is also a profession. Right. Like you, some people who are brilliant 
get there. Yeah, and they're awful at sure. it. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Because, and also, there's a difference in effectiveness between being a really popular politician and an effective politician. Mm-hmm. True. You can be the most popular local one in the in the province and never oh, achieve anything. You're mm-hmm. describing the president of the United States right now. Popular? Yeah. Not effective. Yeah. But you wrote some names down, Ryan. So Dave Dave isn't going to put in the work, but you are. <laughs> well, it's just so hard not to be, first of all. Partisan? Partisan and predictable. And I also have lots of friends running, and they listen to this podcast. I know they do. So I am i don't really want to list my thing. I okay. Like your, I like okay. your Game of Thrones. But I had a joke in here about including David Shepard because we need someone to pick on. <laughs> And then I, my why, final. Why are we picking on David Shepard? Well, I wasn't going to just list all you. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. And then, and then we, we like David Shepard. He's a friend of the pod. Yeah. Yeah. And then I had like my punchline ready, where I was going to be like, I just can't think who's my six. And then like, well, who's that rookie MLA in Calgary? Lawheed. And then <laughs> you guys were going to go, oh, Jason Kenny. And I was going to, oh yeah, Jason yeah. Kenny. I heard good things about him. And then we'd play the transition music and move on. So let's just cut to that. Our next question is from Chris Erickson, and he asks, uh, prior to Jim Prentice. How many federal MPs were later elected as MLAs in Alberta? I'd never thought about this. Brian Storseth tried, tried, yeah. tried, but didn't wasn't successful. Yeah, he ran for yeah. Brian Storseth was, was the cons- federal conservative MP for West Lock St. Paul, and mm-hmm. then he ran in Lock Liberty St. Paul Two Hills, and he lost the nomination. PC I think at one point, yeah, for the piece, I think at one point he was running against his stepmom. There were like nine people running in that race. It was a strange so one. I can't. Other than Jason Kenney and Jim Prentice, I can't think of any examples. Brian Jean. Oh, right. Brian Jean was a member of parliament and then... Forgot about that guy. (laughs) So all the leaders. Sure. So, so I've, I have, I have three others that I've, I've, I've remembered, but, and I probably, I I know I'm missing some. So one is Ian McClelland. Oh, yeah. Yeah, And Ian McClelland was a reform party and then later a Canadian Alliance. Yeah. Elected 93, later a Alliance MP for Edmonton South West. And then he ran in the 2001 election. He ran in Edmonton Rutherford, and he served one term as an MLA in Edmonton Rutherford. Uh, the other one is Peter Elzinga, who right. yeah, oh. who was I think he was Klein's chief of staff at one point, yep. but he was a member of parliament for Pembina, and then he right. first, stepped down before, first, yeah, yeah, and then he became the MLA for Sherwood Park. Oh, now I know one that I forgot. And then the oh. other one is Hugh Horner. Oh, you forgot one too. Okay, uh, so Hugh Horner was a federal MP for federal progressive conservative MP, and then he jumped provincially and was and he won in Barhead, I think, or White Court, and he was um, he was Lougheed's like rural lieutenant, and he that was um, um, Doug Horner's dad, and oh, I think yeah. oh, Nate, Nate Horner. Horner's uncle yeah. or yeah, yeah. Actually, you weren't wrong, and I apologize. But another example of this, but flipped around, is uh, uh, Ron Leipert. So yeah, yeah. Went from being off. an MLA to being, and yeah. there, there are there are examples of that of MLAs running for provincial office and becoming MLAs. Yeah. But yeah, the other way around. And there's there are a few others uh, who I know I've missed, but those are kind of the ones that I've I've thought of. I uh, really appreciate everyone who sent us in questions. I know we didn't get to all of them. Some of them were repeats, and and I mixed up Kristen's, and I feel like I always messed Kristen's stuff up on the show. So Kristen, I absolutely owe you a beer. Uh, but thank you to everyone, and and remember. And we'll remind you one more time before this show is over, but the polls are open on Tuesday morning. Get out and vote if you haven't. And next episode, we're not going to answer your question unless you tell us that you voted. Yeah. Not how you voted. Just, yeah, just that you yeah. did. And, and we're hoping to record something not long after the uh, election day. Yeah. Just me crying. <laughs> <laughs> Ce- I, celebrating Premier Rachel so. Notley's re-election. <laughs> or, and, or you guys. And I know I mentioned this on the previous pod, but uh, the evening of... April 16th, I'm going to be hosting a politics panel with 
uh, Natalie Pond and David Kleimenhager, both who've been guest co-hosts on this podcast at the Metro Cinema Garneau Theater in Edmonton. Doors open at 7 p.m. We're going to do a political panel, take questions from the audience, uh, and then we're going to shut up right before 8 and put the election coverage on the big 30-foot cinema screen. So admissions free. Come on down. I think the bar will be open. Yep. Um, you know, you can cry in your beer or celebrate. Yeah, and, depending uh, on uh, what the people of the neighborhood of Garneau are expecting will happen. Yeah. So looking forward to see you guys there. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. And thanks to our producer, Adam Rosenhardt, for helping us put the show together. And a huge thanks to the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB, for supporting the show. Send us your feedback or ask us any questions you have for our next episode. You can get us at on Twitter at, at Dave Berta or on the Dave Berta Facebook page, or you can email us at podcast at daveberta.ca. And, well, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.